I just, I just think we're going to have a really encouraging morning together. Um, I don't know the specifics of your week, if it's been an awesome week or an awful week or uh, just somewhere in between, kind of a mundane week. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Uh, you're here and you have consecrated this morning. The, the, the word consecrate in the Bible means to set apart. And so you have set apart this morning, this time. You have consecrated or set apart your heart. You're saying, hey, God, in this time, I want to meet with you. I want to hear from you. And uh, the scripture says in Joshua chapter 3, 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I believe that when we set apart our hearts and set apart our time that God uh, does something in this moment, but it also affects tomorrow. And that's the kind of church we want to be. Uh, we want to be the kind of church that it's not just a gathering, it's not just an event, but we're, we're impacted regularly that it affects Monday through Saturday. And so uh, thank you uh, for consecrating uh, yourself, and uh, you should thank yourself for doing that, because I believe that God's going to bless you uh, through this time in some very specific kinds of ways, as his scripture does not return void. As we open up the scriptures, it does something really great in our hearts. And so I believe that that's going to happen uh, this morning. We want to be the kind of church that what happens in here gets taken to uh, the streets. So uh, glad every single one of you are here. Uh, what we're going to do now is we are going to take some time to pray together uh, for local churches. And so last week what we did as a church is we kicked off this three-week sermon series that we're calling Together for Boston. And us and 12 other Boston area churches are coming together to preach through the same themes to kind of get our hearts aligned and just to say, hey, we are on the same team. And so for the three weeks together, week one, gospel, this week, city, and then the next week, movement. And so what we're talking about today is city. We're talking about city impact. But before we do, we want to take some time uh, to pray over some specific churches. Now, here's why we do this. On Center Street in West Roxbury, I live in uh, West Roxbury, my neighborhood, uh, there are four pizza shops. Has anybody ever noticed how many pizza shops there are? They're, they're everywhere. There's Tony's, there's Cristo's, there's Camella's, and there's West Napoli, right? And I've ordered pizza from them all. They all kind of bring different things to the table. Now, here's the deal. Obviously, each of these pizza shops are in competition with one another. When I order from Tony's, Cristo's loses, right? When I order from Camella's, Tony's loses. I, I like saying those Italian names. It kind of makes me feel like a mobster, right? Like, oh, Tony, we're going to take out Cristo because we are part of the Camilla family. You know what I mean? Uh, my, my mobster voice is horrible. Sorry. Uh, but here's the deal. Unlike the pizza shops, churches are not competitors. Unlike the pizza shops, churches are on the same team. And so when another church wins, we win. And when another church hurts, we hurt. And when we win, they win. Say same team with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Same, same team. team. We are on the same team. That's the heart with this series together. The world needs to see our unity. We saw Jesus as one of his dying wishes last week in John chapter 17 is that we would be one. In John chapter 13, 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, does anybody know it? Love for one another. And so if we have love for each other, not just in this room, but across the city and across the world. And we say we are on the same team. The world looks on and says, those are the disciples of Jesus. They have this uncanny unity that can't be explained anywhere else other than God doing something really distinct in their heart. And so one good way to foster love 
is by praying. I tell people all the time who are bitter or mad at somebody, uh, or struggling with forgiveness, I say, let's just start praying for them. Well, I don't want to pray. Well, if you pray, watch what God does. He starts to soften your heart. And so we're going to pray for these churches and just know that God's going to soften our hearts and give us a, a, an uncanny love for them. And so for these three weeks, each week, we're going to introduce four churches. And so uh, today I want to introduce four churches. And the first church I'm going to in, in, get to introduce to you is City on a Hill. Uh, City on a Hill Church in uh, Brookline, right at uh, Coolidge Corner there. Uh, it's just a great church started in 2009. Uh, they're seeking to kind of start a network work of neighborhood churches in Somerville and Brighton as well. So love these guys. Uh, just great group of believers. And uh, we partnered together in a number of different ways as churches. Several years ago, Miss Mina and I actually went over to City on a Hill and uh, did a little uh, teaching on uh, bringing Jesus to apartment complexes. And so that was a lot of fun. Great church. Uh, next church we're going to pray for this week as a church is Church at the Well. They are in East Boston, and some of you may have seen their other venture around Boston. Church of the Well also has uh, the Well Coffee Shops. And so if you've ever been to South Station, uh, the Well Coffee Shop there, that's them. They also have one now at Downtown Crossing and a few office complexes as well. And so just a, a great church with a really cool strategy and the money, the proceeds that come from their coffee shops uh, go to help local charities. And a lot of the people who work at their coffee shops, a lot of them are uh, volunteers from their church. And so if you're going to South Station, skip Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and go to the well. Sound good? Great church, great church. Love those guys. Uh, next is Redemption Hill Church. They're up in Medford. Uh, they started just a couple of months after Charles River did. And so when we started as a church, uh, they had their core team who was kind of formulating come and join us for our very first service, which was fun to have them. And ever since then, we've just been like on very similar tracks as churches. And their pastor and I get together and pray for each other and, and share battle stories together, you know. And uh, I always joke that they're like the Charles River Church on the north side of the river. So similar, very diverse, beautiful uh, church family. And so Redemption Hill, be praying for them. And then the last one is this church called Seven Mile Road. They are up in uh, Malden and they meet at Malden High School, another great church, second church of a, of a smaller network of, of churches, neighborhood churches in Boston as well. And uh, love these guys. So these are our four churches for the week. Can we commit to praying for them? All right, now's your chance. You, you have permission right now if you want to take out your phone and to snap a photo of those logos right there if you want to help yourself uh, remember to pray or you can write them down or plug them into your, your phone. Uh, let's pray for these churches this week, not just in this time, but all throughout the course of the week. And we'll be doing some creative things along the way to help you uh, remember to pray. So let's go to God uh, now together in, in prayer if we can. Our Father in heaven, we commit to you, City on a Hill, Church at the Well, Redemption Hill, and Seven Mile Road. God, thank you that we can be confident that there are churches that love you and hold to your scriptures and want to make an impact in each of these neighborhoods. God, we pray that at the, the start of this new season that you would empower them, do a work in them for your good for them and then for your good for the neighborhoods that they're representing and as we lock arms together ultimately for the good of this city and beyond and so we commit them to you father we pray that your kingdom would come in brookline in east boston and medford and malden just as it is in heaven we pray these things in the name of jesus amen amen all right well today we're going to be in acts chapter 
19. If you have a Bible, you can flip on over to Acts chapter 19. We also will put it on the screen here for you in a bit. Uh, If you don't have the church app, you just go to your app store, type in Charles River Church. We'll pop up there and we have a Bible there for you. And then we have hard Bibles around the room that you can take home and uh, keep for yourself if you don't have one or give to somebody that you know needs one. Acts chapter 19. While you're flipping there, I'll tell you a story. A couple years ago, uh, my neighbors behind us uh, got a chicken. Now, uh, these neighbors never come outside, and now all of a sudden they've got a chicken, and they're outside all the time, and their kids are playing with the chicken as if it were like a cat, you know. (laughs) They're just playing with the chicken, holding the chicken. And uh, then a few weeks later, they got several more chickens, and, and, and now, like this season with the windows open, you know, you, could, you can hear chickens in the middle of the night as we're sleeping, and I quickly became uh, familiar with the sound that a chicken makes when uh, a leg, an egg is laid, right? It's just, it's like this really strange, I can't even try. Uh, but <laughs> my wife goes online and starts to look through details about what are the, the laws? What are the appropriate, you know, th- codes or whatever with regards to having chickens in uh, the city? Because, you know, we're not way out in the suburbs where we got tons of land between us, right? I mean, this is like the chicken feels like he's sitting on my windowsill in the middle of the night laying an egg, you know? And so we find out that uh, you can't have a chicken uh, coop within 100 feet of the next house. Problem is, we don't have 100 feet between our houses, you know? And so they have a chicken coop. And, uh, but we didn't want to be those neighbors, so we didn't say anything. And then one night, uh, we're sleeping with the windows open, and uh, we were awakened to the most horrific sound you can, I can't even, you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, picture like um, shrieking, demon-possessed animal. It was horrifying and we all jump out of our bed and we're going running around what, what's going on it was it was really really scary and we we still couldn't figure it out we knew something was going on outside and and then eventually a couple of days later I, I looked over the fence and saw lots of chicken feathers but no chicken <laughs> and so I think it was either uh, some kind of animal got into the coop or another neighbor who was having trouble sleeping like myself uh, wasn't me I promise I did not assassinate chickens. My question for all of us is, have you ever had your sleep disturbed? Anybody? You ever had your sleep disturbed? College student, you know, your roommate, it's Saturday morning, we're supposed to sleep in till noon, and they flip on the light at eight in the morning, right? That's no good. That's no bueno, right? Or, or my mom, I, ever since I was a kid, I feel like my mom intentionally did the dishes at like 5.30 in the morning, you know, just a clank and, and, and just keep us awake. Or the neighborhood homeboy who shows up at like 1 in the morning with the sound system blasting and the walls are, are vibrating. Or just a few weeks ago, uh, we were in bed and we jumped, leaped out of bed because something, we didn't realize it was something fell off of the wall, uh, something we had hung on the wall in the middle of the night. And we go to all of our kids' bedrooms. They're alive, but we were thinking somebody was, you know, trying to kill us. And so uh, I, I go downstairs, like, you know, real slow and discover a chalkboard fell off the wall. And my, my wife was so mad at me. And I said, what are you mad about? She goes, what were you going to do? I mean, you got down. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do. But we don't like being disturbed, right? We don't like being disturbed, especially when we're, we're, we're doing our thing, whether it's sleeping or, I don't know, studying. You know, I'm very distracted with studying squirrel, you know, but whatever it is. We don't, we don't like to be disturbed. And in Acts chapter 19, the story here is really no different. Uh, there's uh, people of Ephesus, they're, they're doing their thing, and then there's this 
disturbance. And the disturbance is ultimately that the life-changing message of Jesus comes to their town and causes a disturbance, and they don't like it. And so read with me Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 23. It says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, the Apostle Paul, has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So, where are we right now? We're in the city of Ephesus. We're in, we're in Ephesus, and the people in Ephesus worship a, a false goddess named Artemis. And a bunch of silversmiths were making bank uh, off of the building of these little uh, statues of Artemis, these little uh, shrines to Artemis and replicas of the temple as we look back through history. It would, it would not be like, I don't know where your mind's going, but it would not be like, um, say, New York City and you go visit the Statue of Liberty and you can buy these little miniature statues of liberty uh, that if you flip it over, ironically enough, say, made in China at the bottom, right? That it would not be like that because these Artemis statues, these, these temple miniatures were actually made in Ephesus. They were made right there locally in Ephesus. And it says that people from all over Asia at the time would come to buy them. Ephesus was a, a harbor city. It was very easily access, uh, accessible. And so people would come from all over Asia to buy these, these little replicas, these little statues. And then they would even come just so they could get a statue and they could then bring it back to a loved one who was sick so that when they passed away, they would be buried with these, uh, these, these miniatures so that Artemis would be with them uh, into the next life. And so this is a big business. You have people's heartstrings, people's loved ones uh, attached to this business. And so these craftsmen, they are rolling in Ephesus. I mean, they are doing really well in Ephesus. This is, this is great for them. Well, this one guy, uh, Demetrius, incites this huge citywide riot in Ephesus after realizing this is this thing with about Jesus is starting to really take off and it's starting to affect our business because Jesus is 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 this God that that we can't we can't then go and and and, and build a replica of him we we he's he's the image of the the invisible God and so it, there was an issue right with this and it was it was really affecting the culture uh, do you remember the app Pokemon Go do you remember this thing I don't even know if it's still around the Pokemon Go app where people would who like Pokemon could then go all over the the place and and they could kind of find uh, Pokemon. I saw this YouTube video of this one guy in, in Central Park, and uh, thousands of people in Central Park, as you can imagine, at its height, are, are walking around trying to find Pokemon with this app. Well, he 
holds out his phone, and they have a video of him doing this, holds out his phone, and he screams the name of some extraordinarily rare Pokemon, right? Like Charizard or something. And he, ah, and he screams, and all these people, right there, and all these people come running in this mob and charge after him. It's just this crazy scene. That's what Demetrius does, right? He, he essentially says, we're going to lose our jobs. And he screams, joblessness. And he just incites his massive riot in the city square. See, the Apostle Paul, uh, this great missionary who had been deeply changed by Jesus, is now traveling and bringing the message of Jesus that's changed his life to other places. And he had now spent about three years in Ephesus uh, bringing the message of Jesus. And and one of the things we see him teaching, uh, beginning back in Acts chapter 17 in Athens, he's starting to tell people, our God is not made by human hands. What kind of God is that? If you can make your God and worship him, that's no God at all because you made him or you made her. That's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of lame, right? And so uh, Demetrius sees this message that's exploding and it's affecting the city. And so instead of screaming Dragonite or Charizard, these are the ones I looked up online, by the way. I don't know the actual names of Pokemon. Don't judge me. Uh, he screams, joblessness, right? Joblessness and incites this riot. Now, the one verse that, that we see at the very beginning that has just intrigued me for a long time, Acts chapter 17, verse 23. I'll look at it again. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. No little disturbance. It was a massive disturbance concerning the way. What is the way? The, the way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. The only way to be made right with God is by Jesus. The message of Jesus is, is completely contrary and flipped compared to every other world religion out there. Every religion is in some way, shape, or form earn God's favor. The message of Jesus is you don't have to earn God's favor. You don't have to perform. You don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough. He lived the perfect life that you could never live. He died the death that you deserve, not him, in your place so that if you just trust in him, you are made right with God. I am the way. I am the way, he says, and no one can be made right with God but by me. And so followers of Jesus in in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 were first called Christians back then in in Antioch. Christians meaning like little Christ. These people want to be like Jesus. They want to reflect Jesus. But before that and, and even sometime after that, they were being called followers of the way. And so it says there's no little disturbance concerning the way, that the way, the message of Jesus, this countercultural, flipped upside down kind of truth is, is causing a disturbance in this particular city. Now, back to those chickens, if we can, for just a moment. I can live with a little chicken gobbling in my life, right? I can, I can handle a little, it was kind of like, it was kind of, kind of nice. And I felt like I was on the farm for a little bit with the windows open, and it was kind of nice for a little while. However, when it got to the place where I was having nightmares. <laughs> I wasn't having nightmares, but it was, it was horrifying. It was scary, and there was shrieking in my, in my window and in my house. It was on, right? And that's when we were like, we're going to do some research about this thing. I'm going to tell you what. You, could, you can't ignore it anymore. And as for the way, as, as for Jesus, I think a, a lot of people, we can handle a little bit of Jesus in our life, right? I think a lot of people are like, I, I like a little bit of Jesus. And a lot of church folk like a little bit of Jesus in our A little bit of Jesus kind of in the background almost like lulling me to sleep. 
However, when, when it comes to a place that, that, that I cannot ignore Jesus, that he is wanting to infiltrate everything, and, and I, can't, I can't shut the window of Jesus and his impact in my life anymore, I think a lot of people say, okay, now this is the place where we're crossing the line, Jesus. You're getting a little too close, Jesus, a little too much, Jesus. And, and, and I would imagine in this room, not a single one of us would explicitly say that, right? Like, I want to keep Jesus in the background. But question, does your life say that? Does your life say, Jesus, you can, you can make a little noise in my life, just a little bit. But don't, you cannot disturb too much. Don't disturb too much in my life. You, too loud, keep it down. I want to keep going on with life business as usual. Like these craftsmen wanted to go on business as usual. And so Acts chapter 17, 23 has long intrigued me and has sparked in my heart this, this holy curiosity. And I've been thinking, what would it look like if there was, because of Jesus, no little disturbance concerning the way in Boston? That's the big question for today is, is what would it look like if there was no little disturbance concerning the way in Boston? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to see our entire city disturbed by Jesus? I'm not talking about disrupting the economy in, in negative ways like, like in Ephesus. In fact, we're not out to take down any business, maybe one business. I, I would be pleased to see the pornography business taken out because of Jesus, because it's just objectifying women and destroying lives. But I think otherwise, I'm all right with with Jesus helping our city in various ways. But we're talking about holy disruption. As we read in other places in the scripture about this disruption or this disturbance, it's often referred to as awakening. Let me give you some, some samples of this. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. Romans chapter 13, 11, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. Ephesians chapter 5, 14, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Have you ever had somebody turn the lights on while you're sleeping? Not cool, right? Not, not cool, right? No one likes that. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you. I don't know a whole lot of people who would ever like having their sleep disturbed, at least at first. My wife, apologize, I want to share a story. My wife, I've got it bad for her. I did ask her permission on this one. I got it bad for her, but it doesn't matter how gently in the morning I go and I kiss her on the cheek and say, it's time to wake up. It doesn't matter how gently I do it. If it's in the morning time, she looks annoyed. Like she rolls her, what? Are you, she doesn't look, ah. Oh. It's not like in the movies, you know, so good to see you, right? No, she just gives me this kind of this angry look, like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> now, now, what could change that annoyed look on her face? It's what she's awakened to, right? If she's awakened and it's Monday morning and it's time to go teach some sixth grade punks, she's not going to go, yay, right? If I say hey, babe, it's uh, 2 in the morning and one of the kiddos wet the bed and I can't find the sheets. Like, I, where, do you, where do you fold the sheets and put them on? She would not be happy about that. But, but if I said, hey, good morning. Got a special day planned for us. We're, 
I got the coffee ready. In fact, here's breakfast on a tray. Sit up, have your breakfast in bed. We're going to the beach today. We're going to top it all off with an Italian restaurant. We're going to have some warm bread. It's going to be so, it's going to be so good. That'll, that'll certainly help, right? Eventually. <laughs> it takes her a little while to warm up. Uh, she's like a, a computer. I'm like a TV, right? You just hit power and I'm on. I'm like ready to go. And she's like slowly got to boot up, you know? Uh, listen. We deeply believe, we deeply believe that when Jesus awakens our city, it's for the good of Boston. It's for the flourishing of Boston as the gospel, the good news of Jesus comes to bear on this city. We believe that that the gospel coming to bear on a city can create unusual unity. We believe that the gospel coming to bear on a a city can uh, breed selfless and engaged citizens. We believe that the gospel, the message of Jesus coming to bear on a city, uh, breeds peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. We believe that it it creates strong families. We believe that it it can create a a foster care adoption culture. We believe that that it creates new and creative community resources of counsel and care. We have... uh, Some of our churches came together and created a a counseling center, a joint counseling center. We we believe that the the gospel impacts crime. I can't help but think about uh, in Northampton and the other side of the state, the the first great awakening. And the police said, the report said the police were completely bored because the teenagers who used to stay up late getting into trouble, now they're staying up late and praying and worshiping God. (laughs) Little rebels, right? We believe that the gospel can cause a city to flourish. However, people don't like to be awakened at first, right? People and communities don't like change. So let's, let's read on. We'll see a little bit more of that. Acts chapter 19, verse 28. And when they heard this, they were enraged. What did they hear? That is when they heard Paul's claim that a God made by human hands is no God at all. They are enraged. When they heard this, they were enraged and began crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesian. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now, some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Anybody ever uh, experienced traffic, and it's just people are slowing down to gawk, right? That's, the crowd is just getting bigger and bigger. Some of them don't even know what we're, we're writing about. We just want to join in, right? They're just checking things out. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, who the, who the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in regular assembly, for we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, 
since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So, riot breaks out after Paul has brought the gospel to this city and it affects his dirty business, manipulating people. And people began chanting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, this chanting is going on. To the point that it works people up where people uh, grab Gaius and Aristarchus, two of Paul's traveling buddies, and they're about to be publicly executed in front of all these people. And, and the Apostle Paul wants to rush in there and, and deal with it and, and, and share, take advantage of this opportunity. And some of his disciples hold him back because they just know if he goes in there, he's going to be killed. But eventually we see the town clerks able to kind of quiet down the, the, the group of people that are together. We learn a little bit more about Artemis there, that they believe that there was some kind of meteor that fell from the sky and brought the revelation of the message of, of Artemis. But the, the, the town clerk calms everyone down and, and, and says, listen, these guys have done nothing wrong. Don't riot. Don't do this. Let's go about it the legal way. That's how we're going to handle our frustrations. And eventually the riot calms down and we hear nothing more of the issue. But we do hear as we continue on in chapter 20 and then into the letter to the Ephesian church that a church is born out of this. That Paul raises up leaders and in chapter 20 we get this beautiful emotional farewell if you want to read some more about the story uh, later today or later this week. But a city is disturbed. The city resists at first, and then true impact comes, but true impact takes time. And I'm, so, I'm so thankful that they didn't give up. It took years for them to see impact, but they didn't give up. They pressed on despite challenges. And Paul and his team and this young church were able to see something very beautiful take place in their city. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the, the, the letter we call Ephesians, came five to seven years later. And, and what he writes in, in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, gives us a little look. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What are they still doing five to seven years later? They're still loving each other well, loving the saints well. And do you remember John 17 last week? Jesus' wish that we would love each other well so that the world may believe. So our tool, one of our greatest tools for impact is to love each other very well so that the world looks on and is left scratching their head. These people were committed to making an impact. But how did it start? How did it start? It started with Paul and a few of his friends showing up to this city and they connect, if you read back the story a little bit more, they connect with a few other God-fearing people. And for months and months and months, and then it turns into years, one at a time, a person has changed, and another person has changed, and another person has changed. And we start to see momentum, and, and, and it's clear that God's up to something. It does say in verse 9 of, of chapter 19 that some people were stubborn, some people resisted, and many people spoke evil of the new church that was being born. But little by little by little, people are being awakened. Now listen, if God is going to awaken a city, as we see even in this story, he has to first awaken people 
has to first awaken individuals like you and me. And so, yes, the big question today is what would it look like if there were no little disturbance concerning the way in Boston? But really, the first question we have to ask is, what would it look like if there was no little disturbance concerning the way in me? In me. In me. What would it look like for, for Jesus to infiltrate every single area of my life? What would it look like if Jesus infiltrated my, my thoughts and my desires, my ambition, my relationship, my career, my habits, my finances, my time, everything, everything. Jesus is all and in all, the Bible says. He has no desire to be compartmentalized in your heart. It's all or nothing. What would it look like if Jesus were to infiltrate every area of your life? Would you be okay with that? Can you say with confidence, Jesus, I'm okay with you infiltrating every area of my life. Would you be okay with praying, God, disturb me, disturb me, awaken me to whatever you want to do in my life. I trust you. I trust you. God, show me areas in my heart that are not disturbed by the gospel where the message of Jesus is not coming to bear in my soul. God, wake up the sleeping parts of my soul. Awaken me to whatever you want to do in my heart. That's a crazy statement to make, right? It's a crazy statement to make. And just as a side note, um, he, he will often awaken people, even if you don't ask that, by the way. Just so you know, he can do that. That same sermon, Acts chapter 17, Paul says, our God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need your permission to change your life. He will, he will do that. We see the story of the Apostle Paul. He's out trying to kill Christians, and God just blinds them on the side of the road, right? He just blinds them. Shades come up. You're, you're going to wake up right now, my man. And he wakes them up. So God does that. But what if we were just to put up the lightning rod, so to speak, and say, God, please, please, I want that willingness of heart. God, I want to hear from you. I want you to, I just believe that yeah, he would do so much in our hearts and in our lives. But that's a crazy statement to say to someone, do whatever you want. Like none of us would go to the barber shop and be like, you know what? Whatever you want to do. Yeah whatever you feel today. I mean, what if they're having a bad day? Just, I mean, they're just not happy, right? That would be, that would be horrible. No one's going to get a tattoo and they say, so tell me, what are we doing? No, you tell me what we're doing, right? That would be, I mean, what if they were a Pokemon fan and you get like some, something tattooed on your lower back? That would not be, it'd be crazy, right? It'd be crazy, right? But be reminded, God doesn't have a bad day. God doesn't have these crazy ideas. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans for us are good plans, the Bible says. His plans for us to, to prosper. He has your, your flourishing in mind. He has our, our cities flourishing in mind. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? And so I want to invite us again today to, to plead together with God to, to disturb our city in a good way. But first, we also got to start with our own hearts. God, would you disturb my heart, every area of my heart? May there not be any stagnant water in my heart. Would you come in and just splash it? Just move my heart, move my life. That's a prayer that I think he likes to answer. And so can we go to God together and pray to that end? Let's do it.
Father, um, we want to see your impact in this city. And so, yes, we plead with you for that. You know, this has been a prayer of ours for years, and we continue to plead with you. But God, we also first want to wanna plead with you to do your work in us. Show us areas that have not been disturbed by the life-changing message of Jesus. And so we invite you. We invite you to do a work in our hearts. Whatever you want, have your way. God, we know that your promises for us are good. Not easy all the time, but good. And so, God, would you do a good work in our hearts? God, as your people, this morning, as we wrap this message up, we just want to hoist up the sails and, and plead with your spirit to blow and move us where you wish, how you wish, in us first, and then for the good of our city and for your glory. Please, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.